Business Bros is your show, where small business professionals just like you come to tell their stories. This podcast is for those who understand the number one rule in business, which is to be of service to others. Learn how today's professionals generate leads, what's working on social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of those who are out there doing the real work. And now let's welcome your hosts, Hernan Cias, the real estate bro with eXp Realty, the cloud-based brokerage where top producers reign, and James Cias, the insurance bro with Pipeline Insurance, making sure you are covered because there's a lot riding out there. And now here are the business bros. Welcome to another episode of Business Bros. Oh, by the way, I got James. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that, Tim. We do the business bros at the beginning of all our episodes, uh, kind of just loosen things up a little bit to get ourselves going. So, listeners out there, by the way, we have a special guest, uh, special for me, anyways. Uh, it's uh, Mr. Tim Harris from Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. Uh, he's one of the inspirations that uh, inspired me to get into podcasting first and foremost, second, into real estate coaching. I mean, they've been coaching. For over for about twenty years, actually, I think you guys, uh, according to my notes, you guys started in nineteen ninety nine, and you've been coaching over two hundred fifty thousand agents since. Um, and the re- one of the main reasons why I decided to move into your particular coaching program versus all the others is because you actually sold real estate at a high level. You actually, you and your wife sold uh, over a hundred homes the first year that you were in the real estate industry, and then consistently did that year over year. And I thought, well somebody's doing it right. I want to do something very similar. So, uh, welcome. Well, let, 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 let's go back to the start. All right. You really look. think, you, you really think starting out saying business bros, like you guys do, you really think that's a good way to start a show? That's terrible. <laughs> it's a fun way to start the show. You know what it is? is we get people who come in live and they're nervous. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. It kind of just breaks the tension at the beginning. Hmm. Okay, if you say so. All right, so, <laughs> so with regards to, you know what, uh, podcasting. Let's talk about that real quick. Um, sure. Yes, podcasting is something that everyone should consider doing because podcasting is going to essentially, well, it already is. It's the new great frontier for communication. And all the, for anyone listening inside the real estate industry or otherwise, podcasting is without a doubt going to be one of the, um, the Gutenberg Press, which was essentially made it so that they could reproduce, um, you know, the written word. That was the last biggest revolution in communication. Now you can argue a bunch of other minor points, but what a lot of people are saying is podcasting is the next biggest thing since the Gutenberg Press. Now, I think that's a pretty huge statement to make. I'm, you know, repeating what somebody else said, but if you put it in context, why is it true? Because a lot of people are, this is again, just repeating what I have heard many times, essentially functionally illiterate. They can't really read. They can read the words. They're read well enough to maybe make it through school, maybe even college, but they can't read and actually understand uh, the information that they're reading at a very high level. It's because we have untrained our minds to be able to consume the written word. Um, And furthermore, the uh, most people are busy, right? Everyone's busy. And so when they're listening to podcasts, when they're listening to a good podcast, that's actually conveying valuable information. They can listen to it while they're, you know, having their glass of wine at night. They can listen to it driving to work. They can listen to it, whatever. And that's something that is being seen 
by virtually everybody as a real revolution. Now, podcasting itself has been around for a long time. Um, iTunes, Apple kind of created the niche, but what's happened is that all the big players are creating, are coming out with ways. And the reason podcasting hasn't really taken off in a big commercial sense is because no one's figured out how to monetize it. But now Google's getting into the monetization of it. There was a big podcasting platform that sold recently for over $300 million. So you're going to see, we're going to see a huge shift a seismic shift in uh, the value of a good podcast. YouTube for a long time has been a place you've heard all these people making YouTube videos and making tons of money and all the rest of it. Well, um, th that's probably going to still stay powerful, but now what's happening is the, a lot of the YouTube stuff is so curated or uh, how do we say this? You can't really publish on YouTube the content that you could three or four years ago. Maybe it's being seen as political, maybe it's being seen as just whatever. And so it's creating a lot of open space for podcasting and people that are looking for those alternative views on just about everything in life. And, and so there's just every reason to believe that if you're a small business owner, um, you probably have something worth saying. I can't say probably because you might not. I don't know. I don't know you. But the reality of it is, is that you probably do. And um, if nothing else, you can do an interview-based podcast, but do seriously consider using podcasting. I know in our own business, our podcast, Real Estate Coaching Radio, it's become the number one listened to daily uh, you know, podcast for real estate professionals in the world. We have tens of thousands of people that listen every day. And I don't even know how many shows we've done, thousands of shows. We do it, and you know, it's, it's just Julie and I, my wife and I, and we occasionally have guests and we have a lot of fun. And um, you know, we don't even really, I'm sure that this podcast probably has done higher audio quality than ours. We don't even give a rat's ass about the audio <laughs> quality. It's the content that people care about. So, you know, there it is. I would strongly suggest everyone who's listening to seriously consider getting, starting their own podcast because going forward, it is a massive opportunity. Well, you, you kind of, you said, you know, since the press, this is going to be one of the next best things. And I think it's because yep. you're opening up the floodgates of information. Everybody who has an opinion, who has an idea, who has a thought can throw it out there and maybe it'll stick to the wall. Maybe it won't. But uh, with all that information going out, how do you even decide? How does a listener decide what's good content, what's bad content? What podcast, relevant? What podcast do you listen to? I'm going to open up my iPhone right now. And I'm going to tell you what podcasts I've got that I'm going to listen to probably. Uh, later today. What do you listen to? I listen to your podcast. I listen to the Brainy Biz podcast. I listen to uh, the Marketing Dudes podcast. I have the Gary V podcast, the Ask Gary V. Uh, that's about it. I don't have as much time as I'd like to, to listen to a bunch of stuff. Well, but, but see, that's what people do. They just, so I've, on our, I'm looking at mine. Um, our first one is Ben Shapiro. <laughs> we listen to Ben Shapiro every day. He's pretty funny and yes. very effective at delivering information. He is. Um, and I have Julie Nice podcast. I have, and then I like to listen, when I'm listening to podcasts, you're much better uh, at listening to choosing your podcast. But I listen to podcasts that have nothing to do with my normal day in life and books as well. Um, so like I have the conspiracy farm, which I heard about from Joe Rogan. And I have Joe Rogan experience, which is a great podcast. I'd say 80% of us are great. Sometimes yes. he talks about things that are all out there. Uh, Radio Lab, which is a great podcast. Tim Ferriss podcast. Team Never Quit podcast. Jordan uh, B. Peterson podcast. Um, and those are the ones pretty much I listen to consistently. Um, and, you know, as far as the, the – there's a lot of other great podcasts out there too. Um, but the moral of the story is, is that it's become a way to disseminate information at a very high level that people are searching for. And what iTunes does is once you get – I'll tell you a little hack for podcasts. It's interesting. 
is that you once you get more subscribers to your podcast, iTunes, like kind of a, like when you're on Amazon and you're hitting the checkout and you're buying your baby diapers or whatever, and it says, well, you know, people who bought baby diapers also have a tendency to buy face masks so they don't have to smell the baby di- when they're changing it. I'm just giving a like bad a, joke. But, a little additional yeah. thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what, iTunes, what iTunes does is when you're subscribing to a particular podcast, if they see your podcast is getting subscribes, they'll actually su- start suggesting your podcast more frequently. When Julie and I, um, we have a new book coming out in a couple months. And it's already basically being, it's in pre-order now, Harris Rules on Amazon. And, and Amazon's already, based on the pre-orders, it's already recommending the book when someone's buying, for example, uh, Gary Keller's book, you know, Millionaire Real Estate Agent. A lot of people buy our book and Gary's book at the same time because Amazon's actually doing the marketing of our book for us. Well, iTunes does the same thing. So the key is, is um, the listens are great, but really what you want is subscribers because it's just until Google comes out with their own podcasting format, you really do need to, um, you know, increase, uh, make sure you're getting subscribes on iTunes. Yeah. And, and the easiest way to do it is just tell people to, you know, go to, I go to their pot. Like when Julie and I are doing an event, uh, what we'll do is we'll, I have everyone bring out their cell phones and I show them what their iTunes or, you know, a lot of them don't know they have a podcasting app on their phone. I take them there and I show them how to put it in. I hit subscribe and, um, yeah, all that matters. So that's the easiest way to get listens is, well, really the bottom line is you have to be delivering listenable content. People like to have, you know, they're not going to sit there and ingest what you're saying. Well, but it's different than a video. Have you ever listened? This is kind of funny. Have you ever listened to like live TV on the radio or whatever? Have it's you ever listened to? Yeah, it's, it's not terrible, right? Horrible. Yeah. It, well, but it, yeah, it's terrible Cause it, you, because the communicating in person it's the reason that most people are better selling in person because you can, you know, you can smile and all the, you know, nonverbal communication that goes on. Well, when you listen to like, it doesn't matter, Fox News, CNN, doesn't matter. When you listen to them on the radio, it's just horrible, the garbage that they spew. But then when you listen to a podcast, a really good podcast, someone, you know, you're, someone's putting a lot of thought into every word they're using. So I think listeners to podcasts, they really are sensitive to, um, the content. I mean, the ones I listen to, the people put a lot of time into researching them, other than like Joe's podcast. I'm, Joe just does his, his is three hours long. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's just, he's just talking to someone having a good old time, you know, yeah, yeah. No, he occasionally has, hitting the bed. And, yeah. yeah. But he has, you know? great, he has great guests. I mean, they're from all different walks of life and yep. you're right. It's just, it's just a straight conversation and he'll get bits and pieces out of what, you know, what he has on the show. And that's kind of what I learned about podcasting. When we first started, it was a matter of, you know, well, let's get people on the show. And now I got 30 minutes, 40 minutes of content that I can break up into small sections that I can use to repurpose and put out however I, however I like at that point. And yeah, I, I mean, and it's like, if you're in the, if you're, for example, you're a real estate professional, it's, you know, obviously that's, you know, our, our neck of the woods. And if you're a real estate professional, there's, you don't just have to do it on straight up real estate. Now you could, but the problem is, is people, even though they think most people think about real estate all the time, they're not in the real estate market. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to probably want to expand slightly. And like on our podcast, Ours is mostly for real estate professionals, but we do certainly talk about things that are outside of, I mean, we're not just sitting simply grilling down, you know, drilling down and talking about real estate stuff all day. It's a little bit about, you know, essentially it's a, it's more of a, a lifestyle podcast, really. And lifestyle is not the right word, but you know, real estate coaching radio, y'all can listen, make up your own minds. But that's the, the feedback we get from people is they really like the fact that we'll, on one day we'll talk about, 
you know, real practical and tactical real estate advice. And then the next day we might talk about something that's sim that's important for a, well, here, I'll just say it this way. We did a survey of our listeners um, and we got a surprising number of responses. And what I was shocked by are the number of people that weren't even in real estate that were listening to our podcast. That was surprising. Yeah, well, a lot of the content that you have on the show is uh, business related. It, it, does it work in real estate? Absolutely, it works in real estate. But it's also, it can, I mean, my brother's in the insurance industry and we take a lot of the content and repurpose it for insurance agents because it works the same way. It's still a sales gig. Yeah. So, right, you know, exactly. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. But, you know, it's the doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level. That's relevant to all aspects of life. Yes, you know? it is. It is. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, like I said, I repurpose it in, in the classroom. I have kids, you know, 17 year old kids about to enter the real world. And it comes down to exactly that because they always want to do what they don't. They, they never want to do what they don't want to do when they don't want to do it. And they don't even have a high level yet. They haven't gotten to that point uh, where, where they understand what a high level is um, until life kind of slaps them in the face. And, and if I, well, can but, but, but you could teach them and I'm sure you do the hard work aspect. It's like at the high level, you're, everything you just said, I 100% agree with. The problem that people in general, not just kids, are faced with nowadays is they're told that they don't have to work hard. Right. They're told that there are shortcuts. Um, in our industry, it's basically you are never told that you have to do what you don't want to do. And it, it's fascinating. There was an, I had a very interesting conversation with Gary Keller over on Saturday. He and I talked on the phone for about an hour. It wasn't on our podcast, just as two guys talking. And he made a comment. He said, Tim, have you noticed how many of these CEOs of these companies are essentially, you know, being replaced? And, um, you know, I, this isn't directly related to what you just said, but it's interesting, I think. Maybe a slight pivot. And, uh, I, and I said I had. And, you know, he said, had you thought about why? And I said, well, I, I assume it's because they're not able to make the, the turn in the road as far as what the new, uh, you know, we're vastly, we're quickly moving towards this world where it's going to be, um, you know, the, the thinking that's necessary to succeed in this world that we're entering into is different than the thinking that was necessary to succeed in the world we're moving out of. Uh, I'm so I'm 49 in a few days. And I'll tell you, I don't remember there being such a decisive turn in the road. There's always been like, okay, now I remember when the internet came out, right? You know, I remember when different, different technologies sort of rolled in and there was, you know, there was sort of like, of slow acceptance and what's the internet and people got around to it. No, I guess I can. Da, 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 da. Well, what's happening now, the convergence of um, uh, just the market changing in real estate, the convergence of the uh, technology, artificial intelligence in particular, that's going to start having a direct and fairly dramatic effect quickly. Those things are what a new uh, CEO needs to be focusing their minds on, which requires a different level of thinking. And so when you're with your students and they're trying to understand, okay, how do I relate to this new world? The real core foundation, and this is true again for anybody, is if you can just accept the fact that everything you want in life is on the other side of doing things that other people will never do. That's the doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. You know, I use the example on our podcast all the time of going to Orange Theory, where if you have an Orange Theory in your, in your town, you need to consider going there. I don't like it. I just dislike it tremendously. It's, you know, it's an hour of physical hell. But as a result of it, Julie and I have been going for a couple of years. We're in the best shape we've been in our lives. There's no doubt. And, um, you know, everything's improved as a result from, from getting our bodies in that kind of shape. But that type of discipline, that type of belief in, um, you know, the blind faith and, and moving forward towards a goal 
is the doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. So if I were teaching kids, or as I'm teaching adults, but if I were teaching kids, the one thing I'd try to instill in them is being able to have an open mind to, to change and then willing to really get good at one thing. Um, and that's the, that's the other thing that was interesting. The one thing is changing. So the one thing to be successful in the past as a CEO, for example, going back to my conversation with Gary, is different than the one thing that it's going to be even 24 months from now. Um, and, you know, how people receive information, like we're talking about podcasting versus video. We're talking about uh, the fact that most people are functionally illiterate and they can't read for, they can't actually read and understand what they're reading. I mean, you're a teacher. You have to agree with me on that point. They can't oh, write 100%. either, right? Yeah, it, yeah. I, I, mean, I would go even a step further that they don't want to read. They, they see the words and they avoid them like the plague. So if there's a problem on the other side or a solution on the other side of a paragraph, it's not even going to get approached. Why do you think that is? I, I think it's partially it's confidence. I think partially it's, it's training. It's like, uh, you know, it's okay. I don't, have to, I don't have to solve that problem. There's an eighth place trophy for me or a participation award for me. Uh, for so where does that come from? Where does that come from? That comes from generation before. You know, th that's the coddling at home, my personal opinion. You didn't, you didn't uh, nobody's told you that uh, it's okay to fall down. It's, you know, it's okay to make a mistake. Uh, get up and, you know, try again, keep going. That stuff doesn't come it doesn't happen anymore. You, I mean, you can, you, we could dig deep into this sort of topic. Cause this, well, this but, but let's talk about, let's talk about it. There's more interesting than I was just talking about. Okay. So right. Let's talk about that. Why is it that, why is it that you, what you're, effect, what you're effectively saying, and I see this in real estate too, is that people are afraid to learn how to compete and win. Yeah. People are afraid. People are afraid to compete. I don't you know. They, they, yeah. They don't want to compete. They fear, the fear of losing is, is greater than, than the reward of winning. So what is it that they're fearful of losing if they compete and win? What is it they're fear fearful of losing if they compete and win? <laughs> Ego. It's simple. Uh, I'll, I'll suggest look, they don't even want to. They don't want to look like they've attempted something they couldn't win at. Okay, that's an interesting perspective. Do you think it's because people are so one of the strongest desires that humans have is to be accepted and belong to a group? And if all of a sudden they start competing and winning and they excel beyond the norm of the group, the group will reject them, correct? Yeah, yeah. I can see yeah. that. So I, you I, think that's one of the and, – and that fear is not a, taught. Yes. Yes, that's a crabs in the bucket analogy, right? I mean, that's – Exactly. That's, perfect. Yeah. Yep. And, and so, you know, I, I definitely see that, uh, especially – uh, in certain ethnic, ethnic groups, as kids are growing up, I, you know, in the Mexican culture, it's kind of, you know, looked down upon and, and well, not looked down upon, but almost like, who do you think you are, you know, being successful at this level? Yeah, but that, I think that, that, listen, that's true in every culture. That's not just true in Mexican culture. That's true in every culture. That was true in whatever the hell culture I am. <laughs> right. Which is, I, I mean, my people come to the, came to the United States in the right after the Mayflower. So, I mean, I'm, you know, European. And I promise you that that exact mindset, and I grew up poor, and that I promise you that exact mindset was true. It, it's true with all of them. It's because people, it's the crabs in the bucket. You should tell that story, by the way, for people who don't know what we're talking about. So is it, so would you say it's a socioeconomic thing? Because, you know, I don't see it as much on an upper level. I think people on a higher level have a different fear. 
people you know who are trust fund babies all all of a sudden have this fear have this sensation of you know i didn't build this myself or or you know i'm not good enough to yeah, have but there's it. so few of them there's so few of trust fund babies out there not even really worth talking about i mean a vast majority of the millionaires first generation millionaires in the united states i mean they earned it themselves the number of people that inherit their wealth is just so irrelevant that it does is honestly not worth worthy talking about that's just a politicized bullshit point there's there's so there's wealth trans there's wealth transference that's starting to happen from the baby boomers, but the people that are out and about nowadays, for the most part, that have accumulated something in their lives, they've done it themselves. But really, you're, the question is, is why is it the kids are afraid and, and adults in general are really truly afraid or unwilling to um, you know get out of that bucket? And the answer is ultimately, well, I'll tell you a true story. Okay. So Julie and I, our first year in business, we sold over 100 houses, 103 houses. And I, I don't like telling the story because I'm from Ohio and I feel like I'm bragging. And we don't, that's something that you don't do in Ohio. But <laughs> okay. So anyway, we sold over 103 houses our first year. We broke all kinds of records. And the truth is, is we didn't even know we were on our way to breaking records, let alone selling 100, over 100 houses um, until the year was almost over. And we sat down, we literally wrote them on a piece of paper and added it up and then called our broker and we were at 70-something, and we said, uh, his name was Rory, is Rory, and we said, Rory, what is a good number of houses to sell your first year? And I remember this call, I mean, it was forever ago, but he goes, how many did you sold? I mean, then we told him, and he goes, call me back when you get to 100, click, and just hung up. <laughs> <laughs> it was the perfect broker, you know, we loved him. So, yeah, so we sold 103, you know, closed and pending, broke all kinds of records, National Association of Realtors, you know, the whole thing. We went on a, a tour we were Remax agents. They just, it was ridiculous. It was really way too much attention. And this was all before the internet too. This was back when Realtor Magazine was pretty much the, you know, that's the thing that you read every month and you waited for it in the mailbox for this Realtor Magazine to show up. And there Julie and I were in the magazine, not once, but many times. So it was a big deal. Okay. Why am I telling you all this? Because our first year in the business, and this is when in our early twenties, we earned several hundred thousand dollars. And we ran our business very efficiently, so we netted several hundred thousand dollars. And this is when we were effectively right out of college, you know, a couple of years out of college. I went, I went to my parents' house, and we'd bought a slightly used BMW. Uh, it was an E36 M3 for you car nerds out there. And um, I showed it to my dad. I, I mean, we pulled in this driveway, and we and I, my dad opened the door. And he stuck his head out the, the door, saw the car, and and you won't believe what I'm about to tell you. But then he slammed the door. He didn't talk to me for like a year. Didn't say a thing to me. Wouldn't, wouldn't talk to me at all. Hmm. And um, it's like, I couldn't resolve it. I mean, I didn't fortunately let that adversely affect us because the next year we sold more than we did the, you know, <laughs> and we always increased every year. So I didn't let it get into my head too much, but it always bothered me. I couldn't resolve why he wouldn't have been, you know, proud of us because he wasn't. He wasn't. He was jealous. And it took me years to figure that out that that was, a, for example, of a very harsh rejection that happened because we broke the mold. That was my father who wanted to see me in particular as a particular, this is where I fit in his world. And all of a sudden, we didn't fit into that world anymore. And we excelled financially at a greater level than he'd been able to. I know it sounds terrible, but everything I just described to you happened exactly. Yeah. And, um, isn't, isn't, you know, so that's, that's my example. <laughs> isn't that like a little hypocritical, though? Because I, I know being, you know, raised... Uh, to be a hard worker, right? I mean, they, they want you, your parents wanted you to work hard to be- I wasn't raised to be a hard worker. No? <laughs> well, okay. No. Well, for, for the most part in my family, it was like, you, you need to have good work ethic, get up, go to work, do what you're supposed to no. do. No, but, but, I wasn't raised like that at all. Nope. 
So I was not raised to have the good work ethic. Well, they didn't expect shit from me. That's the truth. <clears throat> they didn't expect anything from me. So Nothing. you definitely broke a mold. Yeah, that, yeah that, I was a freak. I mean, but, but the, <laughs> the question, the question in, in like, you know, my brother and my sister, for God bless them, they're like exactly you'd expect having been risen, you know, been raised in a situation like that. They turned out exactly like you'd expect them to. No surprises whatsoever. And, you know, I probably a good bit of my success has to do with the fact that I met Julie when I was a kid. You know, we were just 15 and 16, basically started dating when we were 16 and 17. So, you know, that was inspirational. And there's other, you know, the other things that happened were, I think I quickly realized this is, you know, when I was a teenager, I started, I had exposure. Julie and I started a car cleaning and detailing business when we were in high school. And um, from that, we started working for people that were really affluent. I mean, Columbus, Ohio has a shocking amount of really wealthy people. <laughs> and we were, and I loved cars and Julie came to love cars. And these, and the people would, the customers would um, treat us really freaking nice. And oftentimes they were, had two, three, four cars and we just put them on schedule. We'd call them every six months. They were, you know, and it was great. And some of them would um, give us these ridiculous bonuses at Christmas and, so through that exposure to those people and knowing like I, it totally and completely forced me to confront the notion of evil, you know, rich people being evil, which is how I was raised or, you know, to be rich, you have to have taken it from somebody else. My brother still, you know, I don't want to talk to my siblings, but they still believe that they still have that fundamental belief that in order to be successful financially, it's because you took it from somebody else. But These the are the types of things. Yes. Reality is the the complete opposite, though. The only way that you you actually made it at any level is that you were being of service to other people. That's right. right? That's the bottom line. But it took me a long time to to t stitch all that together. You know, and because that's it. The more people you help accomplish their goals in life, the more of your own goals that you'll be. Uh, I was going to say aloud, and actually, I'm going to say aloud to accomplish yourself. The more people you help, the more people, the more things than, that God will allow you to experience in your life is how I actually think. Yeah, so, and, it, and, it, and I've seen that to be true. How, how do you think then, uh, if we bring it back to agents who are just starting off, um, mm. how, how do you guys go about breaking that mold for them? Because you're, I mean, basically, if I'm hearing you correctly, the thing that's stopping a real estate agent from becoming successful is their own fear of becoming successful. Well, first of all, you can't overcome that fear of being successful. There's no point in trying to like one of the reasons I think people like us is because we do not spend a lot of time talking about head junk, right? Yeah. We do not spend a lot of time talking about mindset. People should be burned out on all of the snake oil salesmen that are, you know, trying to position themselves as being amateur Dr. Phil's. I mean, I listened to Dr. Phil yesterday on Joe Rogan's podcast and Dr. Phil isn't even that interesting as a psychologist. So to think that you can have some, you know, speaker or motivational guru somehow clear out all your head junk is just insane. So really the only thing at the end of the day that's going to cause you to have any real change in your life is, hey, guess what I'm going to say? Doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. You have to go back to the idea that the highest and truest purpose of all of us on this planet is being of service to other people. And if you can connect that uh, those two driving thoughts, there's really nothing in this life you can't accomplish. Um, and as far as like, you know, what holds people back and why you think the way you think and who gives a rat's ass? Because I'll tell you, all your defective thinking and all the junk that's in your head clears the heck out when you're actually in action, 
um, and helping somebody. And when you're in action helping somebody and you're truly trying to help them, even if you get a benefit from the help, i.e. a commission check for salespeople, you're still helping them accomplish a goal, buy or sell a you know, house or whatnot. When you're in action doing that, you're in connection with your higher purpose. I don't mean to sound like a hippie because I certainly am not, <laughs> but you are. You know, you're, you're in connection with basically what your highest and truest purpose on this planet is, which is being of service to other people. And if you stay connected to that and then going back to being willing to grind it out and do what you don't want to do and you don't want to do at the highest level, what happens over time and sometimes really fast is all the bullshit in your head about your limiting beliefs and your big why and all these other things that people say you're supposed to be thinking about, they all melt away because you start feeling really proud of yourself because you realize you're, you're helping people and then it, it, you, you get rich. I mean, you, you start building wealth for yourself and for your family and then you start creating financial abundance and uh, yeah, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. And that's essentially the foundation that a lot of people try to skip they think that they can shortcut the hard work. So for new agents, right? I mean, we have thousands of new agents that are listeners. The thing I would caution new agents to do is not skip the real work. Like, do not buy buyer leads. Do not really buy anything. I had somebody email me the other day, some guy who described himself as older. I didn't ask what that was. Older. He just had, yeah, he just said older, you know. <laughs> when I'm, you know, I'm 49, so I'm not sure what older means, but so I didn't ask. And he said um, that he just gotten a, he's just got through a divorce and long-term marriage of 23 years. And you could just kind of read the pain between his words, you know. And uh, this is just an email. And then he said, I, you know, from the divorce, I, I think he said he had $350,000 or and a, and, he, and also a condo that had a $150,000 mortgage balance on it. He was in Long Beach. And he asked, what should he spend his money on? Because he's now forced to have to take his real estate career seriously. And uh, I thought, well, isn't that a strange question? What should you spend your money on? And this is why I emailed him back. I said, run your personal overhead as low as possible. Pay off your condo, you know, with some of that money. Put another year's worth of savings, which his case was probably $100,000 and hard cash that you never spend. Those are the first two things. And then email me back when those things are done. Well, he evidently he did that relatively quick, so he claimed. And so then what I told him was, now, don't spend money on anything. Learn how to actually sell real estate. And I gave him a list of things <laughs> okay. to do. Well, because that's the truth. Because what agents want to do and what he wanted to do and what his broker was probably trying to tell him to do, what, you know, every Facebook, there's a Facebook group called, what should I spend my money on or something like that? <laughs> you know, it's crazy. You should spend your money on getting better at your craft so you can be of service to more people. Not branding, not buying buyer leads, not your logo. Like, how much, how much money do you think agents spend per year on personal agent websites? I bet you it's billions. I'm not, with a B, I, I'm not exaggerating. I bet you it's billions. And yet, NAR had a report come out, and this is searchable on Google, right? that showed that the average agent website gets a total of zero leads per year. How amazing is that? You know? Well, you know why? And then like, it's easier to cut a check than to actually, you know, pick up the phone, pick up uh, call expired, call for sale by owners. It's way easier to cut a check than it is to do that kind of work. Well, but it's also a lie. And it's a lie that's perpetuated by the industry. It's a sickness in our industry. There's like, there's an, you know, like here, here I am, I'm going to use some, you know, overly dramatic words, but there's an evil overtone in our industry right now. There really is. There's an evil, you know, real estate's never been the cleanest of industries. Let's just be honest. But right now there's a dark evil cloud that's over the industry, right? And, and everyone's been pulled into it. 
And it's like, we are, we go to speak to these brokers and, and they, if they don't listen to the podcast, they don't know that we are absolutely against buying buyer leads. And then I start talking about it or I say, this is, you know, they want to know what I'm going to talk about because so many of these brokers have gotten in on the scam of selling. So what they do is they buy the buyer leads from Zillow and they margin the buyer leads selling them to agents for referral fees. So the whole industry has become corrupt. Nobody is telling agents the truth about learning how to be of service to other people. They all think they can shortcut their way to paychecks. It's the whole thing is just insane. And it's, it's because everything has gotten corrupted by, um, you know, you mentioned coaches that have actually sold real estate before. There's another interesting phenomenon. Can you imagine another industry where people are positioned as experts that never actually did the thing they're supposedly an expert at? I, how is that even allowed? Yeah. <laughs> I just don't get it. Well, it comes down to that, that whole sales pitch, right? I mean, you could be a good salesperson doesn't mean you're a good coach. You could be a good coach doesn't mean you're a good salesperson. Somewhere in the middle, you got to kind of mix the things together. I, I think I, I, I'm personally, I mean, you are a great salesperson. You can tell because you pitch pretty much the coaching program on every single one of the shows, but it's not a I direct constantly. Pitch. Yeah, it's not I'm a selling pitch. now. Right. But it's not always exactly. And that's my point. It, it's kind of embedded in you. It's just your nature. It's what you do. It's But you do it in a way where you're providing value. You know, you're coming in with that's right. saying, here's the information. This is the best way to help you. You can take this information and go make a living just on this alone. But if you want additional help, this is how you get it. And, and, I, right. you know, and that, that, but that's, that's our approach, but you know, you, so you ask yourself and we get criticized by, because we do provide the information we do on the podcast and it's better than what other people sell because they don't like us saying what we say because it invalidates what they're trying to sell. And, and we hear people say that I, you know, I stopped going to, uh, I, I canceled that. Like I, we hear this all the time. We canceled Tom Ferry's coaching program because I learned more listening to Tim and Julie's podcast than I did of being in Tom Ferry's uh, coaching program for a year. We hear that all the time. And that's, I mean, you know, maybe that's a little bit too direct for people, but the reality of it is, Going back to the whole podcast thing, in life in general, if you are there, if you position yourself to be a service to other people, where you're going to sincerely try to help them with what you say and what you do, uh, I'm not going to say the money follows because it doesn't, because if you don't ask for the sale, the money isn't going to follow. But the reality of it is, is that you transcend the normal static and noise that's out there in the marketplace. Um, and right now, if you know, I, I've been telling everyone this, if you, real estate agents listen, whether you're listening to this now, it's 2019, or they're listening to this in three or four years from now, it's still relevant. Learn how to hunt expires. Learn how to be the best expired agent you can, because that is going to be expired and centers of influence and past clients. Those two spokes are going to be probably the most powerful spokes, at least for the next two or three years. That you can that you and master those. Do not just fake it. Do not just call it in. Do not just go on Google right now and just do a search and try to patchwork quilt your own expired script together. Don't be lazy become the, because what is an expired? It's somebody who is tried to sell their house. They, they know what price it won't sell for. You know, they're willing to pay a commission. You know, you look at all the reasons this, these are absolutely motivated sellers. Most of them incredibly motivated. And yet you guys will go and spend billions of dollars on postcards and buying buyer leads <laughs> when the, in your MLS right now, there's hundreds, if not thousands of expired listings that you could be calling people that actually have a house to sell and yet you're not willing to learn what to say to call them, that's insanity. You're not serious about business. 
that but just Tim, doesn't even make any sense. But Tim, they don't answer the phone. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, so learn to, how about this call when they will answer the phone, you know, call, and it's, that's the other thing that people try to do. They try to not call intentionally. This is always a fun game I play with like, you know, and when I'm in an audience, people say what you just said, right? When we were in live, you know, and they'll say that and I'll say, well, it's because you're calling when they're not home to answer or you're calling at a time when, like, when are you calling? Well, okay. Are you calling before they go to work or after they go to work? Like we were in New York city recently and I had a comment similar to that. And it was like, like when are you calling? Well, I'm calling about 11 a.m. Okay, let's talk about that. Who in New York City is at home at 11 a.m.? Nobody. <laughs> exactly. Right? I mean, so there's certain times of day when you're obviously supposed to be calling. And then the other thing is like, I had some lady say to me, she, you know, we were doing this little role play. And she goes, oh, my God, you sound like a salesperson. i like, I am a salesperson. You know? What are you? What does your real estate license say? Doesn't it say sales professional? Or no, I mean it wouldn't have said professional, but doesn't it say sales agent? It does. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those uh, one of those things that you got got to get across. You are a salesperson. Like I, I just hear like uh, I hear uh, Woody from Toy Story. You are too. You're, you're a, a teacher. <laughs> But you're, you're, but you're a teacher, right? I mean, that's your, and you're, and you're a real estate professional. You're both. A lot of people, a lot of the best real estate professionals actually were teachers and were, you know, those types of, you know, previous careers. A lot of ex-military people are in a coaching program. A lot of teachers, a lot of, you know, but you're a teacher to be a great, Julie's parents were both teachers. And, uh, right, her dad was this award-winning physics teacher. And I took one of his classes. I wasn't smart enough to take the others. But <laughs> I know that he had massive love for what he was doing. And you could tell. And the kids freaking loved him because he was so enthralled with his, his content. He sold the content. So if you're going to be a, if you're a teacher, you're selling. If you're a doctor, you're selling. I mean, a teacher is going to have to sell the information that they're trying to deliver to the kids or the kids are not going to listen. And that teacher sucks because they're just being lazy. You know, if you're a great doctor, you could be the best doctor doing procedures ever. But if you can't sell patients into having you do that procedure, you're not going to make any money and you're going to be out of business. Oh, but I'm the best ever at this particular procedure. But you suck at talking people into actually having a procedure done. Get it? Absolutely. So everybody, all the best people in the world that are the best at anything are great. Mother Teresa was a great, Jesus was a great salesperson. Whoa, what? Religion. What are you doing bringing up religion? Well, he was. I mean, who starts a movement, you know, a trillion years ago that's still relevant today? That was somebody who really had some kick-ass some kick ideas about how we should run our lives. I mean, if you think about it. Yeah. And there's, yeah, exactly what you said. And they're still relevant today. Yep. Hey, you know what we didn't talk about? We should talk about? What's that? We should talk about uh, uh, brokerage things. We should talk yeah. about, like, I have a question for you. Why did you join EXP? All right. So, my, simple. Um, I like the revenue share model. And I, um, I'm constantly preaching one of those things because I teach a course called Financial Algebra. So, it's always about the end game. Why are you going to work in the first place? Well, you're, you're, you, everybody goes because they're looking for some sort of retirement age. And I don't want it to be a number. I don't want it to be 65. It just needs to be a dollar amount. And so, you know, when I saw EXP, I thought that's a great model to have an exit strategy. So, then EXP came aboard. I, I thought it made a perfect fit. I mean, why not? you know, have a real estate business with an exit strategy. I think that's brilliant. 
I have nothing more to add. Yes. <laughs> and when Julie and I, well, Julie and I wrote our book, Harris Rules, you know, and uh, the new one's coming out, Harris Rules uh, Revised. But we got to the last chapter in the book and our suggestion on how to build passive income was the same thing we had done and the same thing that people have done for generations, which is buying rental properties and eventually between yourself and the tenants, the rental properties are paid off. Uh, but let me tell you, having done that, that is more work. It, and it's not, it, look, if you're a normal person, a porter, a normal person, your ability to accumulate wealth in this country, if, unless you have some sort of liquidity event or some rich uncle dies or whatever, you pretty much are going to have to make it off real estate or selling a business. I mean, a liquidity event. So most people, the traditional path to long-term wealth creation has always been real estate. Well, that's what we did. I mean, you know, that's the path we followed. But had we known about the revenue share model that EXP offers back when Julie and I sold real estate, because you have to be a real estate agent to participate in it, mm -hmm. I don't think we would have bought a single rental property. I really don't. Because the EXP, it's just what you said, the EXP, just the people I've run into, our new coaching clients are involved in EXP. I always ask them, so why'd you join EXP? Or if they're another brokerage, I might ask them the same question. I'm just sort of curious how they think. And most times when they're saying the other, you know, why I joined this brokerage or that, it's because I knew somebody there because I like the office manager. Um, it's never because of the location, because nobody goes to their office. It's never really because of the brand, because people are pretty much wise up to the fact that consumers don't really care about real estate brands. They really don't. They do business with the individual agent. They don't, I mean, very rarely do they ask what company you're with. It just doesn't matter. So it's, it's like there's not a lot of thought that's been put into why they've chose whatever broker they've chose. And that's the problem a lot of brokerages have right now. They're, they're ubiquitous. They're all the same. So that means they have to fight over commissions. They have to fight over – this is one of the things I talked about with Gary uh, over the weekend. They have to fight over, you know, who's going to offer the most widgets to agents, who's going to do this, the other thing. And to the point where brokerages' profits are terrible. The average brokerage makes less than 3% profit and dropping and the average team uh, is making less than seven percent and dropping so if you look at the ability to accumulate wealth during the you know for, uh, that are being as far as the traditional brokerage models so we talked about real estate investing you have to you know you have to sell a lot of houses you have to take hopefully make a lot of profit and then you have to you know pay all your bills and pay the taxes and you have to buy rental properties that requires that you have to earn a tremendous amount of money in your lifetime to ever create any kind of financial freedom from rental properties. EXP is a, I mean, it is a shortcut because with EXP, I saw, I was actually talking with uh, somebody this morning. Uh, I mean, look at, we're talking about EXP, right? It's crazy. But this is something that actually happened this morning. New agent in coaching. Um, she had a question. Um, it was, a, it, she's high end agent. The details don't matter. But I, I asked her about EXP. As I'm always agent curious, you know, and she told me that she has sponsored a total of 15 people, two of her people quit. So she only actually has active 13 people that she's ever sponsored. And now, and she's been in with uh, for like almost three years. Her uh, revenue share group is uh, about 300 people. Oh, wow. Okay. She's only personally got 13 people that she ever actually onboarded. Welcome to the company. And all of those people have brought up 300. Now, for listeners who don't get it, that means that she's making an average through revenue share, not from real estate transactions or paid off rental properties or a rich uncle, 300 grand a year. That's you know, impressive. That's incredible. And, and, and if for agents, for the normal agent to actually create some kind of financial freedom uh, that doesn't take until they're 65, like you said, it's just 
It's amazing. So if someone wants to talk to you about eXp, by the way, how do they get hold of you? What's your email address? Mine is Hernan at csfirst.com. You're going to have to say that slower and spell it, son. H-E-R-N-A-N at S-I-A-S-F-I-R-S-T dot com. And your cell phone number is? 619-884-4915. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, by the I way, mean, at the end uh, of... Yes. You have a nice little text thing, text EXP two three one nine nine. Well, they gave, yeah, but that, that you just have them call your cell phone. That'll work too. Yeah. I, I mean, send them really video the, link anyways. Uh, yeah, we're doing, we, uh, we're doing some interviews of EXP people as part of our podcast. We did, we're doing some for Douglas Solomon too. Um, we're probably going to do some for Keller Williams, you know, where we just have them on our podcast, they're top producers, and they talk about what they've done to be successful. And um, yeah, that, that's the, one of the biggest things I've seen, really, as far as in the brokerage spaces, the movement right now. All these big teams are migrating towards places where they're going to be able to make more net profit, but also be able to benefit from revenue share models. So we got a it's couple exciting. Of, yeah, we got a couple different brokerages over here that have a 100% commission model. And so you got a lot of people that are not anxious to move. But I'm curious, you know, when you talk to actual brokerage, like, you know, you have a 100% model with having the brick and mortar. I mean, you were talking about earlier how the percentage of, you know, net profit is less than 3%. I mean, that's not going to yeah, make no money as I mean, and, and with a changing market, I think it's going to be more difficult to maintain that overhead over time. Well, but the, so like the hundred percent model is interesting from just purely a, a, you know, transactional perspective, but what the hundred percent model doesn't give you is um, what some of these other companies like EXP are giving you, which is, well, actually, revenue share is the only, EXP is the only company doing revenue share. I guess Compass is talking about doing stock, but their stock's not publicly traded, so I don't think it's certain what the stock's actually worth. But when you look at a 100% company, it's interesting. It's like, well, what's the revenue share that you're getting from the company? Well, it's nothing. Okay, got it. And so what's the stock worth that you're getting from your transactions? Oh, nothing. Okay, got it. So it's like, it's a 100% company, so you make you know, realistically, let's say, what is it at EXP? I don't even know. It's like you're an 80-20 split until you pay in a cap of $16,000. Correct. So you're paying $16,000, but they give you all these other opportunities to make money. Um, the 100% model is not as seductive as it used to be. But that goes back to, the, that goes back to the, the fact that brokerages, the traditional model is fungible. They're all basically the same. And it goes back to a thing, like I said, I was talking about with Mr. Keller with regards to the fact that the uh, – it's all a race to the, to the bottom. You know, it's a race to whoever can make the least amount of money in the brokerage space, it seems. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's scary. It is a scary time. And a lot of the brokerages that are existing now won't exist in five years because they're not going to make the transition into this new market. Their overhead's too high. They're paying their agents too much. They've spoiled their agents with providing them too many services that they couldn't afford in the first place and definitely can't afford now. You know, it's, it's scary. It really is. Man, it, it, yeah. There's, there's a lot of changes going on. You're going to need additional support. I, th I think agents are going to scramble when they see their own brokerages going under or having financial issues. So, you know, it's, it's a scary, I, 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 yeah, I can see how, how being on one side of EXP, being on the other side, um, you know, you're going to see some changes. People are going to try to adapt. I heard something along the lines that uh, Keller Williams is starting to try to figure some revenue share model uh, that's I don't know how they could with franchises though. I mean, they, <laughs> they can't really. Well, they have fran they sold. Re they're 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 based on a uh, franchise model, 
you know, and they would be in violation of their franchise. I'm no attorney, so I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I can't imagine they'd be able to do it because of their existing business structure. That, that you know, I mean, we could talk about brokerage forever because it's a very interesting topic because it directly affects agents' lives. Um, but really, I think uh, we've pretty much hit the nail on the head. Pretty much all brokerages at this point. It's funny, at Keller Williams, uh, you know, they came out with a cap and like Remax for a long time was 100%. When Julie and I were at Remax, we paid less than $1,000 a month. And we had 100% of our commission. And now Remax is on a cap. And all these other companies have sort of copied a lot of the things that Keller Williams brought into the, into the marketplace. And actually, the Kelly, it's funny, um, you know, EXP is accused of being a pyramid scheme or an MOM. Well, they got the model that they're using pretty much for their revenue share from Keller Williams profit share. They've essentially copied it. So when I was, uh, Julie and I were, you know, around when uh, Keller Williams was getting big back in the nineties, they said the exact same thing about Keller Williams. That was what all the detractors said. Oh, it's just an MLM. You know, you want to be, you know, it's just a blah, 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 blah. It's just, da, 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 da. but the reality of it is, is that, you know, we talked about technology a little bit. The fact is, is that technology is going to, revolutionize the nature and how agents communicate with brokerages, but also how consumers communicate with agents and having brick and mortar locations has been irrelevant for a long damn time, but it's even more irrelevant now. Now there are exceptions. If you're in Manhattan, if you're in certain parts of the country where upper end real estate is what you sell, then I would suggest you don't go with EXP or a virtual company. You have to stay with a company that's going to be um, one of the top three brands because in that market, like had this conversation on another podcast and it's like, you're, you know, that's the Ferrari Rolls Royce market. There's no substitute for a Ferrari or Rolls Royce. Someone who's shopping for a Rolls Royce doesn't just decide to buy an Audi. Someone who's shopping for a Ferrari doesn't cross shop with a Corvette. So you're going to have to really be sensitive to the fact that, you know, if you're selling in one of these super high end markets, which, you know, most people aren't, that you do have to, uh, you know, you have to cater to your audience. Uh, but for a vast majority of the people at the agents out there, well, hell, it's the reason that the EXP went one year from 5,000 agents to 16,000. That just says it all right there. Talk about a massive success. That's never happened before in the history of real estate. It's incredible. It's amazing. It's a mega trend like we've never seen before. That's what it is. It's a mega trend like we've never seen before that directly benefits real estate professionals, agents, normal people like me, like you, like you know everyone who ever listened to this. It's an opportunity to build real wealth that before has only been available to people that were willing to do what Julie and I did or people that had liquidity events, you know, and both of those things, the liquidity event is, you know, rare and doing what we did. Honestly, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. There's too much sacrifice involved if you have an option like EXP. That's the truth. Yeah. Too much, too much invested, too much time to buy that franchise. Well, look, I, I mean, how much time? I'm, Julie and I had to accumulate the rentals to pay them off, how much life energy went into all of it, earning the money to buy them in the first place, maintaining them. It's hours and thousands and thousands of hours. And, and we had to, you know, in order to pay off that rental property or to whatever that rental property, would we sacrifice? Well, we maybe could have gone on more vacations or maybe we could have done other things with our lives, but because we decided to stay, have that be our true north as far as creating financial independence for ourselves, you know, there was a cost associated with that. I'm not, you know, there was a huge cost associated with it. That if you are coming into real estate now as a new practitioner, or even if you've been into it for a long time, you know, this EXP revenue share model is something like I've never seen before. It look, But aside from that, the brokerage itself is kick-ass too. I mean, 
I, their online campus and the whole thing is pretty yes. pretty amazing. I mean, the opportunity for training, learning, expanding your knowledge. Constantly, base, too. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely amazing. Well, you know what? I mean, we're rounding the bend on time. Tim, thanks again for being on the podcast. So much valuable information that we got on this show. I mean. Sorry, uh, so meandering. <laughs> a little bit of meandering, but still some good stuff. It's a lot of meandering. <laughs> That's all right. So, yeah, but thanks again for being on the show. By the way, um, if people are interested in getting some coaching, what's the best way to get a hold of, uh, of your coaching program? Well, I mean, they can just text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. Let me get the number right. Text the word Harris to 31, what is it? 31996. Text the word Harris to 31996. And they can sign up for a free coaching call with one of our new member coaches. And also we give them, uh, it's either six or eight books. I really only remember the name of two of them. The two that everyone raves about is Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate and the Real Estate Treasure Map. And the Real Estate Treasure Map is the one that everyone should get started with because it's a fill-in-the-blank business and life plan, really. And those you get for free along with the free coaching call. So uh, text the word Harris to 31996. Awesome. By the way, you guys will be uh, – there's so much part of the – it's part of Premier Coaching or different coaching programs that you guys offer. I mean, so much content, daily coaching calls, scripts, uh, telling you what to do on a daily basis. I mean, everything you need to be successful in real estate is part of this program. So, you know, kudos to what you guys have built and modeled around the success that you've had. And again, thank you, Tim, for being part of the program. Really, really appreciate it. Hey, man, I appreciate you too. You're uh... – you're part of the new generation of real estate people out there. You're obviously brighter than the average bear. Every time I've talked with you, I've gotten that vibe from you that you're thinking and connecting to, um, you know, things that are maybe bigger and better than what you've been exposed to in the past. And uh, it's inspirational for uh, me to talk with people like you because it reminds me of the, you know, it reminds me of that what we're doing makes a difference. So I appreciate you as well, my friend. Appreciate that. Thanks. And by the way, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, Hernan at csfirst.com, James at csfirst.com for all your insurance needs. You can follow us on our social at Business Bros Pod. And that's all we got for you guys today. Thanks have your cell phone number. 619 Always give your cell phone. Always, man. No one emails anymore. You're right. You need to get them your cell phones so they can text. No one's li- everyone's listening to you right now on their freaking mobile phones, dude. Don't get email addresses. You're what is this, 1992? Right. You're absolutely right. See, this is why you're one of my coaches. <laughs> 619. So what's your cell phone again? 619. What's your cell phone again? 884-4915. 619-884-4915. <laughs> All right, cool. Appreciate Have it. a great day. Have a good one. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you interested in being on the show? Are you looking to sell your home or have a business that needs insurance? Reach out to the Business Bros via email, businessbros at csfirst.com right now or click on the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening. And remember to subscribe and share the podcast with the business professionals who you think would benefit from the show. 